I do see that when people connect with an image, they want to talk. You know, in the moment, they will talk and they'll say a lot. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant, educator, caregiver support group leader, and a frequent presenter at caregiver conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I was my father's secondary caregiver for seven years. And I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And I suspect we might share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter's the best medicine. Absolutely. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Oh, no, no, no. I'll never forget your wine, sweetheart. (laughs) So when we were taking care of my dad every now and again, my dad would open up and talk about growing up in Italy. And most of the time it was listening to opera, or when we were watching some Andrea Bocelli DVDs. And in the DVDs, they would show some landmarks in Italy, and he would just open up looking at the pictures, and he would start talking about when he was young and a little boy in Italy. Absolutely. Those, you know, those memories of the past and, you know, are deeply embedded in in somebody's brain. And um, those ended up being very special moments for for you and your father. Right. And that brings us to today's guest, who is a certified dementia practitioner and is a certified Montessori dementia care professional. She was a member of the Education Advisory Board at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston for four years. She has taught visual arts in public schools for over 20 years and is a professional artist who uses her knowledge about painting and drawing to enrich her workshops. Her book, Hilda's Story, New Bedford, Massachusetts, is an interactive read-aloud designed for entertainment, understanding, comfort, and connection for those living with dementia. We are very pleased to welcome Siobhan McDonald. Siobhan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Bobby. Thank you. You know, we typically like to open up the show asking people about what brought them into this caregiving world. Uh, Would you share a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So, um, as you said, I I taught for many years in public schools, um, but before that, I had a father-in-law who was diagnosed with early Alzheimer's. And when that happened, um, I I didn't know how to handle it, Bobby. There wasn't the wealth of information there is now. I, I, I spent a lot of time feeling really helpless and not knowing how to communicate with him. Fast forward to me teaching art in public schools, and I came across this program called Visual Thinking Strategies. And that's a way that educators use images from art history to build up conversation in young people and adults. I started using that in the classroom, and at some point along the way, I thought to myself, gosh, I wish I had had this when Papa was alive, I think he would have really responded. And I know I, it would have given us something, a starting point to having a conversation. And um, when I finished teaching, I was done about four years ago. I was ready to move on to something new. I started my own company with the idea 
that these using images and working within that space of persons living with dementia um, was what I wanted to do. I have since had an aunt, my husband's grandmother, and an uncle who also have had dementia. And I've had the opportunity to put this into practice with them. You know, if, if I knew better, I would have done better back then. But I, I try to move forward, you know, always looking forward. You know, you mentioned, you know, you first got into this and not knowing what to do. And that that's a large part of what we do because we were in exactly the same place. We had become aware that, you know, using art in order to bring forth memories and even to get an idea of somebody in, in with dementia, what they might be thinking about has been beneficial. But it sounds like what you're doing is slightly different than that. Yes. So this is a, um, a specific program of training that came out of really out of um, the theories that Howard Gardner was developing at Harvard with his multiple intelligences. And he had a student who was very much interested in using images to provoke conversation and how we could do this in a non-judgmental way. So this program was tested at MoMA initially. It's in museums across the country now. And it primarily was meant to be used, as I said before, with um, young people in education. But the wonderful sort of side effect of this is it is currently used in museums in special programming for persons living with dementia. And the way it works is a particularly narrative image of art. So think of something by Norman Rockwell or Thomas Hart Benton or Vermeer, these paintings that sort of tell a story, the picture is worth a thousand words. One of those images I use, I try to find a very narrative image and I show it to someone and they, we have three simple questions that we ask. What's going on in this picture? What do you see that makes you say that? And what more can we find? And through paraphrasing and um, listening in a very non-judgmental way, a conversation is built. You know, that's interesting because, um, you know, Bobby, uh, being the, a writer and teaching writing and, and mentoring writers, she often uh, will get a picture or a phrase and say, here's a writing prompt, go ahead and write your story. And then they get together and it's interesting how wide the interpretations are, how diverse the interpretations are, sometimes <laughs> scary the interpretations are, and I'm not gonna mention Bobby's name. When <laughs> but it, it's interesting and so, I, I guess that's kind of along the same lines as, as what you're doing, using it as a telling a story prompt as opposed to a writing prompt. Well, writing is stories and, you know, uh, oral stories were, were the very beginning of writing. So, yeah, I imagine it taps into similar portions of the brain. Yeah, and, and for, for somebody like me, where I am meeting people for the first time, I haven't developed a relationship with them yet. It's the best way that I can build trust very quickly with somebody because I'm not judging. And as we know, when a person's living with dementia, conversation can become very painful. 
Um, so, for example, I might show an image, and I know our studio audience can't see this, but I have a Thomas Hart Benton that I use a lot. It's a an image of a, a train wreck, and it was from an actual train wreck. It's called The Wreck of the Old 97. And I will show this image to people. Now, a person with dementia, when I say what's going on in this picture, they might say, huh, the train crashed. And I can ask, oh, what do you see that makes you say that? They might point to things. Now, they might say something that's not actually in this picture. This happens. Somebody might say, ah, there's a dragon, and the dragon pushed on the train, for example. My response to that would be, oh, you think there might be a dragon there. Tell me more about that. Or we can get into a conversation about dragons. We're not negating what the person is saying because this is their experience and their perception. Um, and it, it helps us to have broader conversations about art in their life. Now, do you have them... Uh just do the pictures and have the discussion on the pictures? Or I know you're an artist, so do you actually um, teach them drawing? I, I, and I say that because I can't draw good stick man, <laughs> but, but, but I can paint a landscape. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked that, Mike. And it's, it's a great question. Um, so it's twofold. I, we do look at art images, typically in a workshop, for example, like a memory cafe. I'm very involved in the memory cafe movement. We'll look at an image. I also use storytelling to tell the story of the artist's life. And I'll use small objects to do that. I'll put a, a lot of objects in a box and somebody could do this at home. So for example, if I'm telling the story of Picasso, I have a little mini canvas and little objects that tell the story of his life. But then, yes, there is an art component, a making art component. And that might involve collage. It might, again, I'm trying to make it a non judgmental, enjoyable experience, exploring color. Um, it, it depends on where someone is at. I have a woman right now I'm working with, and she's doing private art lessons with me. She's a person living with dementia. Um, her daughter brings her. She is no longer able to drive. And she brought some paintings to me that were lovely, that were beautiful landscapes that she oil painted earlier in her life. She is not able to do that now. But what she is able to do is draw these spirals. And I found that out just because we were doing warming up exercises. I put a Sharpie in her hand and I said, let's just move the Sharpie around and see what, where it wants to go. We're not, I'm not saying draw a circle. Let's see where it wants to go. It takes all the pressure off. She started drawing these beautiful spirals and that gave me the clue to what her next painting would be. She's doing a big painting with spirals and color. And so she's still experiencing the pleasure of working with paint and color in a new way. Kind of uh, the joy of painting, to quote uh, my hero, Bob Ross. <laughs> oh, love him. I love him. Happy clouds. Bring them on. One of the things uh, another of our guests was talking about was the importance of keeping them 
um, stimulated and feeling productive. And even somebody who, as Mike says, can't draw a good stick man, why anybody wants to draw a stick man, I don't know, um, <laughs> can work with this system, you know, and perhaps that artist in that, that picture that you showed when the person said about the dragon, well, maybe, maybe next time they'll draw a dragon or the idea of a dragon sends them off on another idea. And, you know, imagine the, the different portions of the brain that are being stimulated with that. Um, and what a gift, what a gift, not only to the person with dementia, but with their family members when they have these to keep afterwards. And that's so huge. I'm glad you brought that up. What I try to do, and I would encourage our, you know, listeners to do, is I have a sketchbook um, for each of the people that I work with on a regular basis. And while they're painting or drawing, I take photographs of them. And I put those on the pages in between. We just use the sketchbooks for their warm-up drawings. But Hopefully that gives, and it has several times, these families, this sort of keepsake of their mom or their dad or their uncle in the process of, and and they can see that they are having joyful moments Mm -hmm. and that they were being treated respectfully. Nobody likes just busy work or to be thought of as not creative. You know, when I look at somebody living with dementia, I know there's a creative being in there. But not all of us, you know, I, I was listening to what Michael said about the stick figure. Not all of us were raised to be able to have the time or inclination. We weren't encouraged to be artists. So what a great time to get to try some art. You have the time now. You can try it. That's what I tell people. <laughs> you know, I sit here and you I spend a lot of time on on Zoom and, you know, other social media events now, especially since COVID, with a piece of paper to my left. I'm a left-handed. And and Mike will tell you, I'm doodling the whole time. I love doodling, (laughs) Bobby. That is, yes, that's beautiful. And I encourage people to keep those doodles all together. Have one sketchbook full of doodles because you'll notice patterns and it's fascinating. We're all so unique, you know, in how we make marks. And I've always loved that. I love the marks of the beginner and of the experienced artist. They're fascinating. Hmm. So, gift giving ideas, sketchbook. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I, I often tell people because I've been a writer since I was eight years old when. My best friend's mom told us to sit down and be quiet on a rainy day <laughs> and gave us a piece, of pen- a piece of paper and a pencil and said, write something. And I didn't know how to write a story, but I sat there in silence and then I started writing. And, and she said uh, at the end of the day, Bobby, this is good. You should continue to write. And now I tell people as a good Catholic girl, I obeyed and I'm still doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but writers and artists... As children, they're really good at this until an adult tells them it's not good enough. And if we just let them go with whatever it is, and we don't want to compare somebody with a dementia as a child, but I love what you're doing. You know, she did spirals, and and the spirals are beautiful, and we know that they're beautiful, and they're very much connected to being human, those spirals. I mean, I think that's, that's awesome. 
Yes. And Mike is a musician. It's not that he's not creative. <laughs> oh, and I love that. I, I, you know, I've read and heard about that you love music, that you're a music therapist. And, you know, we feed off of each other. And um, yeah, absolutely. I'm right with you. I, I think a lot of people stop drawing as young people when they, when they reach an age where it doesn't look real. That's what's tough for us, right? Um, Colleen's drawing looks like a real shoe and my doesn't. I must not be an artist. Um, and now I have an opportunity to work with people, you know, using art or just talking about art in a way that, you know, opens up possibility again. We still deserve the right as humans to get to be enriched and learn new things, you know, I, I don't know exactly how the brain works. My brother is a neurologist, and we talk about this all the time. I'm not sure exactly when something that we're talking about with an artist gets to spark something in someone. They might not be able to respond to me in a certain way, but I want to be respectful and give them the opportunity to learn new things. Well, you know, it's it's... Interesting because if you think about baseball, right, and some of the tons and tons of millions of dollars baseball players, they get a hit every third time that they come up to the plate, and they're wonderful. But how did they get there? Did they start off being that type of a hitter, or did it take years and years and years and working through, working through? And if you just give people the time, regardless of whether they're a kid or they're an adult, if you give the time to grow in the craft, people will grow in the craft, as opposed to saying, oh, that doesn't look like a shoe, that looks... Well, I, I invented a new shoe. What's the matter with you? You can't see that this is a shoe? <laughs> <laughs> so true, and, and I think time is so important, and you've talked about it before with, you know, this is part of when I'm speaking to somebody living with dementia and we're looking, let's say, for example, I use, I use a lot of vintage photographs too. So it's paintings and images, vintage photographs, because those can bring up so many conversations and memories, right? So I was talking to a woman when I was sort of beta testing my book. I wanted to make sure that people were responding. And I brought in some photographs of my mother in her garden in the 1950s. And this woman uh, looked at me. Now, the nurse said she doesn't talk a lot. I said, okay, that's okay. I don't need, you know, I just would like to see how she responds. I showed her a photograph that had my mother standing in her beautiful 1950s princess-length dress in her garden in New Bedford. It was a black and white photo. There were tomatoes and all the things that Portuguese people love to plant in their backyard. <laughs> and um, this woman pointed at it, and it sent chills down my spine because she pointed and she said, my garden, that's my garden. And, I, and my response to her wasn't, no, that's not your garden. It's my mother's garden. My response to her was, oh, your garden. You're seeing your garden. Tell me about your garden. You know, and it, it's simple. It's entering. And you know this. Like, this is where I've had the most joy in conversations with photographs 
is getting to enter that world and hear about someone's life through a photo or an art piece. It brings me to a question I was going to ask you. When I was looking at the uh, video with, I guess it's your mom, Hilda? Hilda, yeah. <laughs> and, and she was commenting on a photograph that you were showing her, and she was naming the people. So that was an actual photograph from her photograph book. Correct. Do you often use personal photos or is it a mix or it's just a vintage photograph? I definitely have used personal photographs. I started off using mostly personal photos because that's what I had accessible to me um, and I felt comfortable with it. But now I use all sorts of vintage photographs. So if I am, for example, this month I'm doing some memory cafes around the theme of Thanksgiving, and we are looking at a Doris Lee painting called Thanksgiving, which is a really fun painting to look at if anyone wants to Google that. A great scene of a woman in a kitchen in the mid-30s. Um, bustling about, you know, the bustling scene of a kitchen at Thanksgiving. But when I show this painting in conjunction with that, I'll show vintage photographs of, for example, um, a stove, other kitchens, um, a place setting from the 30s or 40s or 50s. And because all of those things will bring up memories for people. Sometimes I will print out three different types of place settings and ask someone, oh, which one do you prefer? And have them choose. So I use a lot of postcards or I make postcards by, here's a helpful hint for anyone at home, buy your own laminator for like under $30. You buy a little laminator. I make my own postcard sets of vintage images and laminate them so they can be cleaned easily and handled by people. And it's something solid somebody can hold in their hands and talk about. Now, we, we know that music and memory have this huge connection. And after listening to music, they tap into memories from the past. And you know, we've even seen um, on music and memory how somebody who's not verbal wakes up and starts talking about the past, I would think the same kind of positive reaction that it's not just there in the moment when they're talking with you, but maybe for a period of time afterwards, um, they're, they're connected to these memories in this time and place and are communicating where maybe before they had not. I, I guess that's my hope, Bobby. I don't have, you know, years and years of data to back all this up, but my experience has shown me that at the very least, especially if I have family members or if I'm working in a you know, memory care facility or a skilled nursing center, I try to get the staff to see what I'm doing because my hope is that they'll see that this person has so much more to say and that perhaps they'll be encouraged to engage with them in similar ways. Um, music is remarkable and very deep-seated. We all know with how that um, sits in our brains. Um, and so I'm not sure, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure how long the visual connection lasts, 
But I do see that when people connect with an image, they want to talk. You know, in the moment, they will talk and they'll say a lot. All you got to do is listen, right? Absolutely. And listen without judgment, judging. Yeah. Yeah. Going with it, going with it. And, you know, there was a, another woman in another facility and I, I sat with her. I don't even recall what image I was showing her at the time, um, but it probably was, you know, a Rockwell or something. And for whatever reason, she thought she saw a loaf of bread in this painting. Now, I do recall that there was no loaf of bread in it. And, but I went with it. I said, oh, that might be a loaf of bread. So you have a lot of experience with bread. You've seen a lot of bread. Now, I didn't know that. It's just another prompt I could use. That's, there's something that's making her see a loaf of bread there. Well, within minutes, she was telling me the story of the bakery in Brooklyn that her family had growing up and how after school she would go to this bakery. It, so it, it ends up not really being about the painting. I, I'm trying to find a way to get to the, the person I'm with to get to their story. That's what I want to hear, you know? And their joy. And their joy, yes, and their joy. You, know, you were talking about that, and I could smell the fresh baked bread. <laughs> and, and what's more joyful than that? Oh, my gosh, so true. <laughs> and making bread is very satisfying, I can tell you that. Now, have you been doing that over COVID? Because that's a very popular COVID activity, right? We have a lot of bread makers. Oh, yes, yes. Bobby makes bread. Periodically, she goes through phases, but I used to love, before I retired, I would come home and I would get out of the car in the garage and I could smell, A, the fresh baked bread seeping into the garage and roasted garlic, <laughs> like my grandmother used to do. So I would open up the door and it would just be just heaven. Oh my god! And then gosh. you take that roasted garlic and you spread it on the bread and oh geez I'm so hungry now oh uh, yeah see you know the way to my heart it's like art music bread like all of yeah. these the joys of life right these fundamentals right. that connect us yes indeed so Siobhan tell us about Hilda's story so Hilda's story um Hilda is my mom and you know, I wanted to, this is what happened. I was doing these workshops once a month in a memory care facility, a little south of where I live, a little south of Boston. And it was wonderful. I had usually 10 people with um, different forms of dementia who would come to each one hour workshop. But there came a day where as I was cleaning up to leave, um, one of the caregivers in the in the facility came over, and the people were still sitting at the table, which was unusual. But I typically was cleaned up and left at this point. But I was okay. We were using paints or something that day. It took me a little longer to clean up, and I heard this caregiver say to one of the women who, by the way, I have to tell you, the woman's name was Alice, and I loved her. She was dynamite because she used to say to me, what are we doing here every time? And I 
I just said, you know what, Alice, that is a great question. What are we doing here? <laughs> and we had a lot of laughs together. But anyhow, so these this caregiver leaned over to this woman and she said, you have about half an hour till lunch. And I realized they were going to be sitting at this table in this sort of day room for a half an hour, like with nothing to engage them. And I had just spent an hour having these rich conversations. And I have to tell you, it, it kind of broke my heart. But I understand that in these, you know, in some residential settings, there, there's just no possible way to entertain someone 24 hours a day. Um, I got into my car and I was a little bit beside myself and what I could do. And it occurred to me that if I made a book that had images that could prompt conversation, if it had questions and images, so that a caregiver in a facility at the time, was this was my thought, could pull it off the shelf. And if they had a half hour or 20 minutes before an upcoming event or activity, they could use that time to just engage with somebody, you know, in a very and get to know somebody and build a relationship. And it was no heavy lifting. I I wanted to make sure that the questions, a lot of the caregivers I was seeing at the facilities had English as a second language. And so I wanted to make sure that the questions would be readable for them and, and respectful and that, um, and it, that's sort of where the idea came from. I love the video of you sitting with your mom and she got so excited talking about um, her dress and you had mentioned a white dress and she said, well, I don't think it was, yeah. <laughs> might've been a pastel. And it, it was amazing. And she was just all in the moment and was just there and you could just see her blood pumping and it was just amazing. Yeah, she's quite a character. And I, I have to tell you this, I lived with my grandmother in New Bedford for just a little bit under a year at one point in my young life. And people used to come, I was working in this Dunkin' Donuts at the time, and people would come in there, um, elderly people, and they would think I was my mother, which was such a, a strange experience, you know? They would say, Hilda, Hilda. And I'd say, oh my gosh. Get out the oil of Olay, huh? That's right. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, whoa. But, but they were remembering Hilda yeah. as a young woman. Yeah. Yeah. And she's always had this very effusive personality. Yeah. Well, you know, I felt really bad one time when I looked in a, in a mirror and I saw my mother's face. And a very wise man said, I see my mother's face in my five-year-old. That doesn't necessarily... Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, now I love it when someone tells me I look like my mother, so... <laughs> well, Siobhan, wow, it's been... The time has gone quick. Uh, and it's been such a joy having you on the show and talking to you and talking about Hilda. Uh, thank you so, so much. I know our listeners got a lot of ideas about art from you. Oh, thank you, Michael. Thank you, both of you, Michael and Bobby. And I, I love going back. I told you and listening to your um, older podcasts and catching up and 
I really appreciate all you're doing. You know, so often we t- we try to tell caregivers dealing with somebody with dementia to, to enter their world. And you just gave us all a new way to do that in a very calm, loving, caring way to do that. And thank you so much. Thank you, Bobby. It was my joy. Wow. There was a, a whole lot of information there. Uh, some of the things you took away. You know, talking with Siobhan and her talking about the way that she uses these paintings and, you know, just allows that person to see whatever they see and talk about what it means to them. I think that was really something educational for me and and for the people that are listening to our podcast. And to follow that train of thought, the second part of that is listen without judgment. Yeah, using images to build trust. Yes, and treat them respectfully. And we've talked about that a number of times on previous episodes. If we, if we try to insist that what they say they're seeing isn't there, we're not going to convince them. What we're going to do is make them suspicious of us and wonder what it is that we're trying to pull. Right. <laughs> right. And that can result in aggression rather than what Siobhan is doing so beautifully is keeping things calm and really engaging with that person in a way that would not have happened otherwise. And one could even say nurturing that person. Absolutely. Yeah. You can find more information about Siobhan on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show. Go to iTunes, post a review. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page and we will answer. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcast is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.